Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 46, and then uh, through into chapter 11. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, and they told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, say, The Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem. And went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What I'm doing, in the time I have, is two really simple things this morning. I want, to, um, I want you to appreciate the brilliance of the way that Mark tells the stories that he tells. And the things that he wants you to notice. And then at the same time, I'd love it if by the end of the... 20 minutes or so, there's a moment where you go, actually, I think I can hear Jesus ask me a very specific question. Those are the two things I want you to do. Can you see the beauty and can you hear the question? If you were wanting to know where is our church, I wonder if Chris, it's not moving on for some reason. Can you just help me go to the next slide? If you wanted to know where the church, our church, where we met, this would be... A big picture. Google Earth is absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Do you know, one of the things I found out is that one of our neighbours has a pool. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I think it would be easy to miss that uh, from, from Dublin's Road, but there, there's a pool. Um, so you kind of get a really big picture, and you see where the church is, and you see you know, how, it, how, it, how it's laid out and, and where the, sort of the, 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 the roads are. It's the big picture of the church. If you wanted to get a bit closer, of course, then you just zoom in a bit more and you'd see how the paddock uh, area of our church is and, and you'd see a little bit more about what people have got in their back gardens. It's sort of like, but you get closer in. But if you really want to know where the church was, you might want to get closer still, the closest view. And it was kind of like, it's just a, a simple way of me trying to think about when you read this little passage about a blind man called Bartimaeus, 
there's a sense in which one of the things you can do with the Bible is you can actually step back and go, so what's the big picture here? In the same way as we've just done. You sort of get close. We've seen the picture of the Bartimaeus, but you get a little further out, and then you go further still. And one of the things I wanted you to know is that Mark tells his story as the whole gospel is told as a three-act drama. Kate, you can't be coming here and watching YouTube of someone else preaching while you're supposed to be listening to me. No matter how good they are. It's that horrible moment, isn't it, when you're going, I can't stop it. Have you stopped now, Kate? By the way, it was, it was very rude of you when it started for you to look at Corinne and go, Corinne, stop. Um, so we could tell it was you. Okay, so when Mark tells the, when Mark is writing his gospel, he does it as a three-act drama, all right? From the beginning of the gospel through to 8.21, it's all about what Jesus is doing in Galilee, the north of the country. And then from 8.22 till the end of this passage we've just read in 10.52, it's all about Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And then from here on in, beginning of chapter 11, the bit we just read, where he rides into Jerusalem through to the end of the gospel. It's all going to be about what happens in Jerusalem, and particularly about the cross and the death of Jesus. It's like Mark is highlighting some things, and, and it's, it's really clear that in the middle at 8.22, it all shifts, and it's sort of like the rest of the gospel in we're just on the way to Jerusalem. It's the biggest picture you've got. And what you've got simply to say, is that when we get to the story of Bartimaeus, you're at the end of Act 2. And you're just going to be about to enter Act 3. That's the big picture. If you get a closer look, well, you got from 822, 1052, this sort of second act on the way to Jerusalem. What's happened? Well, the really interesting thing is, it started with the healing of a blind man. Now, it's a while since we've done it, but if you go back there, the, you don't really need to flick back, you can just believe me. But the story of the blind man being healed was the man who had to get touched twice. Do you remember? Jesus comes and he's blind and, and he says, will you heal me? And Jesus heals him, touches him, but the first time, everything's still blurry. And so Jesus touches him again. He, he has that brilliant line, I see men, but they look like trees. And Jesus goes, that's not right, let's do it again. So that's how this second act begins and it ends with a blind man being healed. So what Mark has done is taken two of Jesus' miracles and said, that's how the act begins and ends. Now this blindness then, in Mark's mind, it has to be more than just a coincidence. It has to be more, oh, well, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Mark is, when Mark writes the Gospels, in fact, when any of the Gospel writers are, are doing it, they construct them in the same way as someone who was literally wanting to preach a sermon. All right? Now, I know that you might not always believe this, but these, these notes made sense on Friday morning anyway. All right? It's not like sort of random thoughts just being chucked out. There's sort of like there is a pattern. And Mark does the same. So this blindness matters. But see what he's done in the middle of it. The big question after that first man was healed was Jesus asking his disciples, who am I? And they go, 
you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. Yeah. And then Jesus says, will you follow me? And then there's a transfiguration where Jesus is sort of literally transformed in front of their eyes, this brilliance of the glory. And then there's a fight amongst the disciples about who's the greatest. And then Jesus has four encounters that really are all about the hardness of hearts. The Pharisees come to him and they ask him a question. And it's not because actually they want to follow what Jesus says. It's just like they want to test him. And Jesus begins and the question is, was it okay to divorce your, your wife for? And Jesus says, the problem is, it's your hardness of heart that's the problem. And then he deals with the children. The disciples are trying to shoo the children away. And Jesus says, actually, it's the kingdoms for people like this. It's about your heart. It's about the man, the rich man, and his money who couldn't give it away. It's about disciples who can't and not willing to serve. Two men healed. In the midst of it, what's happening is Jesus is saying, this is what it means if you want to follow me. And this is what it still means for us to follow Jesus. It's what it means, you know, for Kirsty and Gary just starting out on this journey. Let me tell you what happens. You discover this is a God who loves you. And in the earliest days, what you find is the remarkable, wonderful sense, I'm not alone, I'm not unlovable, there is a purpose, and God's with me. Yeah? That's what's happened to you both. It's like, I never knew, or I, I didn't believe it. But there comes a moment where it's not just about receiving all the good stuff. It's actually, are you going to follow? Or you just, do you just want the good stuff? And it's about allowing your lives to be shaped as a disciple. It's like, I can see, and then Jesus starts shaping us. And for some of us who are not at the same place as Gary and Kirsty this morning, we're kind of in the middle of that somewhere. <laughs> the blindness is being healed, but actually what's necessary is the shaping of our lives <coughs> to follow him. Does that make sense? And then you get the close look. Oh, sorry. As you do this, just, just wanted to point out this little phrase that keeps popping up in this second act, and it's on the way or on the road. It happens in every chapter in between. And it becomes like a, a way of describing what discipleship looks like. And, and it became so important to the early Christians because... In the book of Acts, they weren't called Christians first. They were called people of the way. That was the title for a Christian. So in, it's kind of like that thing. In the book of Acts, those earliest Christians, if someone had said to you, so what religion do you follow? You'd have said, I'm, I'm part of the people of the way. I'm following this life. I'm on the way somewhere. I'm on a journey with God. I'm actually being shaped in a certain way. And that's why when Paul's used, uh, when Pete, uh, Mark, who am I talking about? Mark. When Mark's, when, Mark's, when Mark's preaching, 
he uses that phrase time and time and time again. And you get it here when we get close up to this man called Bartimaeus. Four things about him. What does this blind man know? He's sitting by the side of the road. So they're in the place called Jericho, this town called Jericho. And um, Mark tells us um, they are um, going in. They're leaving the city. When they're, uh, as they're leaving that city on the way to Jerusalem, there's a blind man sitting by the gate. And he's begging. And uh, once upon a time, we would have had to We'd have had to cast our mind around to think about that happening, but now you don't, do you? Every time you walk through the town, you got it still. And this blind man sitting there with his cloak, which is kind of like his begging bowl, and he's just waiting for people just to be kind, just to throw some money at him. But he starts to hear that this man, Jesus, is... In town. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the thing that everybody else would have known at that time that we just need to be, it just needs to be explained to us. That phrase, son of David, means it's a kind of reference to the fact that Jesus is king. Jesus is the king that we've all been longing for. It's like it's a reference back to the Old Testament with King David. It's like Jesus is the one. That will lead us. It's kind of interesting that in a little while, when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, what do the people shout? Well, we read it. Hosanna. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. It's kind of like this idea of the kingship of Jesus is being announced. That's what he knows. This Jesus is different. He is king. What does he leave behind? He leaves his cloak. Now, in a sense, that's Mark just sort of giving you a little bit of color in the story. You can see it, can't you? The guy's got his cloak. It's, it is. It's the equivalent of the cup or it's the equivalent of the sleeping bag. It's the equivalent of, can you put money down for me? And when he hears that Jesus is calling him, he throws his cloak aside and says, I don't need that anymore. And in the next chapter, where you're going to see the cloaks, there the cloaks are going to be put on the donkey. The cloaks are going to be put on the road because the king's going to come. Mark's wanting you to see some connections here. What are you going to leave behind? What do you want? Jesus asks him a really simple question. What do you want me to do for you? And you've heard this question before. You've heard this question just in the previous passage. When the disciples are arguing on the road. And Jesus says to them in chapter 10, uh, verse 35. James and John come to him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It's exactly the same words. Here, the guys asked, what do you want me to do for you? And the bloke says, 
I want to see. I want to see clearly. Now, because you know the picture of the big story and you know that this seeing business is not just, I'm ill, but it's actually much more symbolic than that. It's kind of like, I want to be able to have this vision of who you are, of who I am, of where we are, of what's going on. It's not just my eyes are blurry. I just want to see, I want to see life really clear. I think you too know what that feels like. You're not blind, but you've probably had days when... Yeah, blinded through the drugs and the drink. What do you, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. And what does he do? He jumps up, comes to Jesus, and he immediately, Jesus heals him. He receives his sight, and here we go. He follows Jesus along the road or along the way. He becomes a disciple. It's like, I want to see, I want to make sense. I'm ready to follow. I'm ready to follow. It's what happened with this man. Part of it happened because the man somehow knew that in Jesus there was something different. And it happened because he heard Jesus ask him the really direct question. And it happened because when he heard the question, he said, Jesus, I want to see. I wonder if this morning Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Because the disciples have been asked that question and they said, we'd like glory if you don't mind. The rich man had come and he'd said, what I'd like is eternal life. But what the rich man found was, you can't grab all hold of what God offers you if you're not going to let go of what you've got. <clears throat> what the disciples didn't realize is that glory comes through service and through the cross. What this guy knew is, if I'm going to see, I'm going to leave the cloak behind. I'm going to leave all that past behind. I'm going to leave the identity behind of who I am. I'm going to be the one who follows Jesus. That's who I'm going to be. I don't know if you can see, I just, I love the, the idea of the brilliance of about how Mark puts this together. I hope you can see that. But when I get really close up, I'm left with one question that Jesus asks me. What do you want me to do for you, Neil? 
and there's a bit of me that say, can you make my life more comfortable? There's a bit of me that would say, can you make sure those people I love are safe? There's a bit of me that would say, can you get rid of the irritations? And I don't think Jesus would say, yeah, I'll do all of those for you, Neil. Because it's not like Aladdin and the genie. I think Jesus is, is kind of like asking me the question on a much really deeper level. What is it, Neil, that you want me to do for you that will mean that you follow me? Last reference to Gary. When Gary spoke earlier, he said, I've come this morning ready to give my life to God. I've come ready. Some of us have been on the road, Gary, with Jesus for 30, 40, longer years. And we've got to answer that same question. What do you want me to do for you? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask really simply... Um, for you guys, if you'd come back, please. And what I'm going to ask, if you can, we're not, I don't really want, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want tunes that we can recognize, so, you know, normal would do. Um, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want tunes that we're going to sing. At this point, I just want you to provide a context for us to be able to be still. And what I'm going to invite you to do is just spend a few minutes thinking, what's the answer to that question? What do you want me to do for you? I'm going to pray and we're going to invite the Spirit just to come and take that question and to, to bring it home for you. The Spirit of God, the Spirit, the breath of God, the wind of God, the breath that makes us human, that brings us alive. You get to invite the Holy Spirit to come and rest on you. God will help you answer the question what do you want me to do for you and you put your own name there Arthur what do you want me to do for you Rosie what do you want me to do for you Shirley what do you want me to do for you Holy Spirit come just rest really gently but very powerfully upon us Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe life into us. Breathe life into those areas of our lives where we don't ask anymore because we fear disappointment. Lord, come, Holy Spirit, and fill us again, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and into 
our lives. Help us answer the question, what do you want? Come Holy Spirit and rest on as we pray.